The Gospel of our Lord Jesus according to John, chapter 12, verses 20 to 33. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Isn't it a beautiful morning? It has just been great to have these uh, nice warmer days and uh, just to begin to anticipate uh, summer and, and uh, a break from the cold and being outside. Uh, so I'm very excited for those nice warm days. <clears throat> well, Lent for us is quickly drawing to a close. And um, honestly, I'm not sure where Lent has gone. It seems like it's gone very quickly uh, for me. We're going to have information on our Holy Week activities uh, coming out in the announcements and the newsletter. Uh, so you can look there for some uh, things that are going to be happening during that, that week between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. Uh, and you know, next week is Palm Sunday. This scripture in John actually takes place after Palm Sunday, after Jesus' triumphal entry. And so, uh, you know, usually our lectionary kind of takes us in chronological order, and we're kind of skipping around here a little bit. 
at the end um, so we can get this story in and then also celebrate Palm Sunday on, on that day and, and everything that comes after. <clears throat> but it's important for us to remember in this text that this is coming after what we'll study next week, what we'll look at next week. Jesus has entered Jerusalem. Jesus knows that this is his, his last trip to Jerusalem uh, before uh, he will be crucified. In John, um, Jesus makes three uh, trips in his ministry to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. We studied the first of those when Jesus comes and, and uh, throws everything around in, in the temple courts uh, when he clears the temple. That happens the first time Jesus comes to celebrate Passover. So when Jesus comes to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, a lot of stuff uh, happens, and there's a, a, a lot of uh, turmoil that ends up resulting. And that was not uncommon uh, for the Jewish people in the first century. That's why uh, the Romans would often bring in extra legions, extra soldiers to kind of help police the city at the time of Passover. Uh, remember, for, for the Jewish people, this was a celebration of uh, being freed from oppression while they were being oppressed by the Roman Empire. And so you can understand how this tended to ignite uh, Jewish passions and, and um, them wanting to be free again. Jesus states in this text that his hour has come. The time is here for the final part of his mission. As we take a look at this text this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. Would you speak through me or despite me this morning? In your name we pray, amen. Well, as we look at this story, like I said, this is um, coming after the triumphal entry. It's coming during uh, Passover. One of the notes about the story uh, of Jesus clearing the temple that is important for us to remember, think back a couple of weeks to one of the things we shared in this story, is that John seems to be writing from the perspective of someone or a group of people who has been left outside of the temple system. They've John's been kicked out of that system. He's no longer, he's persona non grata in the, in the temple. Um, and his community of faith is also being more and more ostracized from uh, the Jewish temple and from uh, the Jewish community as they continue to follow Jesus. And so that perspective kind of runs throughout John's uh, account and is a part of our story this morning. In verse 20, at the very beginning, we hear that Greeks have come to worship. Now, we're not entirely sure about who exactly uh, this is talking about. Uh, th these could be proselytes or people who are interest, interested in learning more about the Jewish faith or, or learning more about who Yahweh God is. Um, these could also be polytheistic uh, Greek folks 
who were used to going around and worshiping lots of different gods, and in order to kind of hedge their life bets, if there was a god they had not paid homage to or sacrificed to or, or worshiped in the temple of, they would make sure they'd get around and, you know, maybe we've missed a god, and so they'd come and they would try and worship these other gods. This was uh, something that they were used to with the Romans and Greeks being surrounded by all kinds of of deities. And sometimes they just wanted to, like I said, uh, make sure they haven't missed anyone. We don't know exactly who these Greeks are or what their motive is for being there. But John's account reflects a community that has been distanced from the temple, distanced from the Jewish faith, uh, whether of their own choosing or being forced out. In the verse that actually comes right before this story, the, the Pharisees ha- have seen Jesus' triumphal entry. They've seen everyone getting riled up and starting to celebrate the Messiah coming to Jerusalem. They've heard the people start to acclaim Jesus as king, and they're taking in this, this scene, and they... Uh, They don't choose to, but they unwittingly prophesy. And they say these words, they say, Look, the world has gone after him. The Pharisees, in without knowing, without wanting to, are prophesying about what Jesus is up to. And in the very next verse that Bonnie read for us this morning, we begin to see that prophecy fulfilled in that very next verse. Among those who went up to the festival to worship were some Greeks. So we start to see people from around the world being drawn to Jesus, wanting to come and find out more about who he is and what he is doing. This is actually Jesus' last public teaching before his crucifixion. This is uh, John chapter 12. In the next chapter, John chapter 13. It begins with uh, one of our favorite texts to read uh, throughout the year. John 13 is the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Uh, it's, it's the Last Supper, and then following that is a number of uh, speeches that Jesus gives that we call the Farewell Discourse. But in this last public teaching session for Jesus, we see people from around the ancient world beginning to be drawn to Jesus. This last teaching is both to Jews and Greeks, to Jews and Gentiles. The the way the wording is in the Greek, we think these men are coming, they're probably men, um, are coming and wanting to follow Jesus. They want to become disciples or apprentices. They want to come and learn more about what Jesus is doing and what he's teaching and, and, and what all this hubbub is as he enters into Jerusalem. The Greeks have come wanting to meet Jesus. It's possible they are interested in a, a job opportunity. As they see Jesus' triumphal entry, it's possible that other revolutionaries, other people who have been oppressed by Rome, kind of see this and start to think, okay, well, maybe he's going to revolt against uh, the, the Roman government. 
and they've also been oppressed and they want to join in. They want to be a part of this revolution that happens. Jesus could actually begin to attract other compatriots and build his ranks. Maybe uh, these Greeks come and they want to know some of the perks of the job of being a disciple. We see these other 12 guys that are, that are with you. What are some of the things that go along with being a follower of Jesus? I want you to note then what Jesus, how he uh, responds and some of the things that are not in his job description. He has no promise of violent revolution, despite what has just happened with the triumphal entry. There's no promise of power or rank. There's, there's actually no promise of even a steady job. There's no health care benefits. There's no retirement or 401k. There's no nights and weekends off. Nothing. If these Greeks come looking for a nice, cushy job as a follower of Jesus, they have come to the wrong place. Instead, Jesus actually goes into the job description of a disciple. And Jesus basically says, well, um, if you've come looking for a job, you've come at a pretty interesting time because it's my time is what Jesus says. My hour has come. I'm going to be glorified. And he starts to talk about his glorification. And maybe the Greeks and maybe his own disciples uh, are starting to think, yes, be glorified. Here it comes, your time, the big payoff. Viva la revolution in Hebrew, however that goes. But instead... Jesus goes on and he says, I'm going to die and be planted like a seed. And from this, new life will come. He says, if you want to follow me, get ready to give up your life. Jesus isn't promising any kind of normal perks of the job. Being a follower of Jesus is not about the prestige, it's not about the power, it's, it's not about everything going fine and dandy according to earthly standards. Instead, following Jesus is going to have long hours, it may not pay well, and in the short term, it may cost you more than you are willing to pay. And yet those that are willing... Jesus says, we'll find new life. What's interesting to me is it seems that in all of this conversation about what discipleship costs, it seems to kind of uh, catch Jesus maybe a little bit uh, off guard. And he starts to, to realize what he's talking about, death. And I don't mean like just spiritual death. I don't mean just like, you know, just following Jesus and giving up your own way. He understands that for him, this is a very literal conversation about death. 
and he says, now my soul is troubled. It seems to be sinking in for Jesus what this means, what his hour means. The weight of what is about to happen is really coming to bear on Jesus. And so he asks the question, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? But this is why I've come. See, Jesus doesn't go around the discipleship process uh, of dying to self. It's like that, that old, uh, we used to sing it at camp, going on a, it used to be bear hunt, and then it was like a squeegee hunt. And you can't go, you come up to the obstacle, and you can't go around it, you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you have to go through it. And Jesus is going to go through it. Jesus doesn't go around the discipleship process of dying to self. And yet it seems that even Jesus is wrestling with this dying thing. He's not just some self-abasing ascetic who's, you know, just ready and willing to give up his life because, you know, it's just all been garbage. Later, we see Jesus in the Garden um, of Gethsemane wrestling with what this all means, and he prays to God the Father, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I will, not what I want, not my comfort, but what you will, what your plan is. For the past year, we've asked God for this hour of pandemic to pass. We've, you know, taken in what's, what we've lost, what, what shifts have happened, and all of that stuff. And we've prayed for it to be over. We've longed for it to be over. We've, we've wondered what happens if we would have done this or would have done that. Or... And you know what? I don't think that praying for it to just be over is a wrong prayer to pray. To pray for an end or a moving on from this. That's a real prayer, and Scripture is full of real and raw prayers, pouring out our souls, pouring out ourselves, our, our desires, our struggles to God. I, I was thinking this week um, about a year ago, and in those first few weeks of the shutdowns and things that happened, <clears throat> and I was thinking about some of the conversations I had with other fellow pastors, you know, because this all started a couple weeks into Lent, and um, we'd gather together on Zoom as we were all getting adjusted to, to Zoom, and, you know, we all had these great creative ideas about how we were going to minister and how we were going to connect with one another, and our big plan for a lot of churches was to come back at Easter, we didn't say what year. We all assumed it was going to be that last year. Or some were going to celebrate Easter at Pentecost because surely by Pentecost we'll all be back together. There were some really beautiful things that happened at that time. The, the creativity, 
the way folks were, were trying to find new and different ways of, of reaching out to one another, of communicating with one another, uh, of connecting with each other. I remember, too, you know, even in our, our wider culture, you know, there were commercials. We're all in this together. Um, some of the, the TV networks got together and did like a graduation service or ceremony for, for those that were going to be graduating because they were going to be missing. And, and people were very creative. And I remember after about a month, we started asking the question, how long, O oh Lord? And I haven't stopped asking that question for these many months. But you know, as it has continued, and now as we seem to have uh, light at the other end, I wonder if we have really leaned into this formational time of discipleship. For me, this year has been a real opportunity to look at purpose. What things in my life, what things in, in my family's life, what things in our church are really essential? What things have we neglected? I also think that only in hindsight will we truly be able to understand the impact that the last year has had on people, on, on families, on, on our community, on our country, and on our church. But I, you know, I've had moments where I've just been so ready for it to be over. I just, I want a shortcut. I just want it to be done. That I wonder if I've taken in the lessons of this last year. The way to new life is through death. It's not scripture for most of us, um, but there's a, a great line, a couple lines from uh, the Lord of the Rings. If you've never don't know anything about Lord of the Rings, you should go watch the movies at least. It'd be better if you go read the books. Um, but, but they're, they're these great stories and, and, you know, rough, very rough outline uh, of the story is um, these hobbits, they're small people, uh, are tasked with the job of getting rid of this ring, which is carrying and represents uh, great evil. And they have to go through this uh, incredible adventure and endure some very terrible things along the way to get rid of this ring. And, and the one tasked with carrying the ring, his name is Frodo. And at one point he says this. He says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had ever happened. And Gandalf, who's the, the wise wizard, responds to him. And he says, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. I wish the pandemic wouldn't have happened. I wish it would all be over. Those aren't wrong prayers to pray. Those are 
you know, prayers from the heart, prayers from the gut. But also, it's happened. It's here. What have we learned? How have we grown? How has this been an opportunity for us to follow Jesus more closely? How does this challenge us for our life ahead? Jesus does not avoid the hard road. And I love how John puts it in his account as Jesus is talking about his glorification and exaltation surely worthy of the King of Kings being lifted and glorified for the world to see and be drawn to him. John wants to make sure we haven't missed what Jesus is actually talking about. John points out that Jesus is actually talking about the cross as the means of glorification. And as he is raised on the cross, the world is drawn to him. What has died in the last year? And do we realize that the way to new life for each of us and for the church may be the death of some of the old ways of doing things or the death of some things that were getting in the way of Jesus. For me personally, the theme of uh, through death to life has been working on me over Lent. Because I, I think the last year has been teaching me how often I try to avoid the uncomfortable, how much time I spend avoiding tough conversations that need to be had, that I avoid facing my own brokenness, I, uh, avoiding what I perceive to be death of any kind. And yet Jesus' means of glorification, the way God brings about new life, is to walk through death. I've tried to avoid. I've tried to manage. But Jesus takes the cross. This morning, uh, maybe like me, you've been trying desperately to cling to something other than Jesus. And, and maybe like me, you find yourself trying to avoid the hard path of discipleship and look for easy ways out, look for shortcuts of any kind that just end up going on another path that doesn't actually lead to Jesus. And this morning... If you're at home and, and joining us for worship, maybe I'm going to invite you to get on your knees if that's where you feel like you need to be, or at least the knees of your spirit, to, to spend some time in confession, repentance, and taking those things to the cross. If you're here in the sanctuary, I invite you to come to the cross this morning. We've We've got room. I'm going to move this. We'll clear some space. There's space down here or out in the aisle. We've got room. The important thing 
is that if there are things that you know you need to take to the cross, things that need to die in your life, the way to new life, to experience wholeness in Jesus is not going around, is not avoiding, is not trying to manage it yourself. It is to take it to the cross and allow it to be crucified with Jesus. Would you receive the sending? May God create in you a clean heart, a transformed heart, a heart that knows and seeks and loves the justice and mercy of the Lord. May you accept the gift of salvation, not your personal possession to be coveted, but his work accomplished in the destruction of sin and death on the cross of Jesus Christ. And may you humble yourself before the Lord, coming before him with a broken spirit, a contrite heart, receiving from his hand great compassion and unfailing love. Grace and peace. Have a great week, Spring Creek.